0: Sentire media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 36 Introducing a Beard, a Hunchback, and Matilda. In the last episode, we got up to the Great East West Schism in 1054, when a series of excommunications and counter excommunications set off after centuries of difference over ecclesiastical, but mostly political matters. And this marked the start of the breaking off of communion between the Western Church, which would come to be known as Catholic, and the Eastern Church which came to be known as orthodox. This also marked a definitive break between the popes of Rome and the Eastern Roman Empire, whom they had started to rely on less and less, starting with the Holy Roman Empire under Charlemagne and then his successors over the centuries. We saw how that empire shifted over towards modern-day Germany with the exclusion of modern-day France and how the new Germanic emperors tried with alternating fortunes to dabble in the political situation in Italy. At the time of the Great Schism, the Pope was Leo IX and the Emperor Henry III. The power balance in Italy saw the Arabs in Sicily, the Normans in the south, the Papal States in the centre and the Canossa family in the north, whose lands reached from the confines of the Papal States all the way to the Adriatic coast in the east, excluding holdings of what, by now, was the Republic of Venice. We're going to focus in the first part of this episode on the Canossa family. I need to take you back just a couple of years before the schism of 1054, But, before that, we're going to come all the way to the present. Let me take you to the Po Valley. It is the largest stretch of non-mountainous land in all of Italy, in the north. The rest of the country is either hilly or mountainous all over, except for parts of Tuscany near the sea, and parts of the heel of the boot, Puglia. You can see a map in the Maps and Images page of the website. A history of Italy.com. It's not a huge area, bigger than Maryland in the United States, but smaller than West Virginia. Being one of the few flat areas, farming and industry have thrived there over the centuries more than in other areas of Italy, and unfortunately, it is now one of the most polluted areas in Europe. The climate Cold and damp in the winter and hot and muggy in the summer doesn't help at all. However, if you have the chance, you can hop in a car and head either north or south and you can either get to the Alps in the north or the Apennines in the south for a bit of fresh air and cooler temperatures in the summer and cleaner air in the winter. In the Apennines you can find large forest areas and very easily meet animals such as badgers, deer, and the occasional wild boar, which can really wreck your car if you are unlucky enough to hit one. You can also look up to the clear sky, breathe in the clean air, and occasionally see a large bird of prey circling above. Those forests and those animals, which are far from the Po Valley now, in the period we are looking at, the early 1050s, could not be only found in the Apennines, the place of origin of the Canossa family, but all over the Po Valley, with the few inhabited areas spread around the forests and marshes. These great forests provided timber and food, but were also feared by the peasants, for they housed all sorts of wild animals, including wolves, and also dangerous men such as bandits so travelling through them could be quite dangerous. For the nobles instead, it was an opportunity to show their bravery and of course pursue their favourite pastime, hunting. So it was that on the 5th of May, 1052, Bonifacio Attone of Canossa found himself hunting in the forests around San Martino dell'Argine or possibly Pineda, by now he was at the height of his power. His title was Margrave of Tuscany, but we have seen that his holdings stretched much further. History has its irony, and on that day in May, one of the most powerful men in Italy was killed in a hunting accident. Or was it really an accident? The death of Bonifacio is one of our great unsolved who-done-it murder mysteries also because the main biographer of the family, Donizone, doesn't mention anything at all about how he died. Obviously, considering the heights of power he had reached, he had had plenty of time to make quite a few enemies, all the way from the lowest vassals to the Holy Roman Emperor himself. So let's see who the suspects were. First of all, an actual accident, which could have happened. Secondly, legend would have it that a lower vassal named Scarpetta de Canivari from Parma had killed Bonifacio. Unfortunately, there is absolutely no source for this legend, and we have no idea where it came from. The third suspect was actually two people, that is, if you count the accident as a suspect. And this is where things get wonderfully scandalicious. Indeed, the two suspects in case number three were Bonifacio's second wife, Beatrice, Beatrix, and a cousin of hers, Godfrey, known very imaginatively as The Bearded. The only real evidence for this was that the two ended up getting married. If it was they who had killed the lord of Canossa, or had had him killed, they were very patient, because they didn't actually get married until about three years later. Anyway, we'll get back to them in a bit. The fourth, and also interestingly scandalous possibility, was that it was the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry III himself, to have had Bonifacio of Canossa, the at times unruly vassal, killed. However, it seems that in more recent times, the Canossa, had mellowed out a bit and become a bit more of a loyal vassal. Whatever the case may have been, Bonifacio was dead, and his wife was left alone with her son Federico and her two daughters, one who bore her sane name Beatrice, and the other who at the time would have been six years old, Matilda. Left on her own, Beatrice looked around for friends and found that the best bet with Bonifacio leaving an uncertain relationship with the empire, was that of the papacy. So Beatrice brought her family closer to the Pope, which also made sense because Leo IX happened to be her uncle. Obviously, the mother's hopes lay in the son, Federico, who was Bonifacio's heir. But when the boy, along with his sister Beatrice, died the year after, in 1053, it left only the youngest child, Matilda. At this point, with equal rights still a thousand or so years off, even we're not quite there yet, and her uncle the Pope dying in 1054 and being replaced by Victor II, Beatrice had to marry. And so back we go to Godfrey the Bearded. Now this gentleman was the Duke of Lower Lorraine, and as such was a vassal of the emperor. He was not quite content with being just the Duke of Lower Lorraine, and had rebelled more than once against his emperor. Therefore, said emperor was not at all pleased when a marriage between one naughty vassal and the widow of another very powerful and at times naughty vassal. Indeed, the marriage was a bit of a hushed affair. Both the bride and groom brought a child from a previous marriage to the bargain. Beatrice bought Matilda, and Godfrey, aside from his beard, also bought the most charmingly sounding son, Godfrey the Hunchback. To further cement the alliance between the two families, a marriage between the two children was also arranged. Matilda, at the time, was eight years old. So overnight Godfrey found his influence considerably extended to a good part of northern Italy and he got to work straight away. First of all in consolidating for example by putting down a rebellion in Florence in which the citizens had sent away the head of the Mezzabarba family. Now another digression on names here. This family was called Mezzabarba Half Beard I wonder how do you get half a beard? Did they shave only on the left or the right of their faces? Did they shave a line through the middle? Or was Godfrey the Bearded's beard so magnificent that the beards of the Mezzabarba dimmed in comparison? In any case, the Florentine rebellion was cruelly crushed by Godfrey and the bearded the half-bearded and the clean-shaven alike could get back into the city. Then, as well as consolidating, he also did a little extending, turning his wife's pro-papacy positions completely around and taking from the Papal States parts of Emilia, the Marche and Spoleto. Godfrey had now taken almost as much as he could and risked bumping into the Normans. Indeed, it seemed that Godfrey and the Normans had made an agreement to divide up the peninsula between them. All of this made Pope Victor II very worried indeed. He was feeling squashed between a hard beard and a hard Norman, so he looked for help in the place where so many popes before him had done, the Emperor. Henry III duly obliged and was quite happy also to put Godfrey and his beard in their place. Indeed, the whopping great imperial army was enough to send Godfrey running back to Lorraine, leaving his new wife Beatrice and stepdaughter Matilda to be captured and taken back to Germany by Henry. This state of affairs didn't last long, however, because in 1056 Henry felt the cold shadow of death looming over him, and so he tried to make sure that his six-year-old son would be guaranteed in his succession. To this end, he released Beatrice and her daughter, and forgave Godfrey. He had his son crowned Holy Roman Emperor, but rather than do things in Rome, as was the custom, the coronation came about in Germany. So the Pope came up and Godfrey was also present at the ceremony. Hoping that he had sorted out his succession on the 5th of October 1056 Holy Roman Emperor Henry III died. His son also called Henry was left under the regency of the Empress Agnes of Poitou. So with the Emperor laid to rest the Pope and Godfrey made their way back down to Italy. The Pope with every intention of staying loyal to the new emperor. After all, six years old he may have been, but he was still the only friend the Pope had in a situation in which he had a sneaky, ruthless and powerful lord in the north and big hairy Vikings in the south. Godfrey, on the other hand, had every intention of not staying loyal to the little emperor and trying to take every possible advantage of his current rather weak position. Victor II didn't really get a chance to prove much. He died on the way back down. Godfrey saw a golden opportunity to extend his influence over the Papal States, so he managed to have his brother made Pope with the name of Stephen the Ninth. Stephen lasted all of eight months. At this point, the Romans, taking advantage of the weak position of the empire, tried to get back into the game, and tried to elect Benedict X. Godfrey was having none of it, and he opposed Nicholas II, who, by force of arms, was able to take the papal throne. Nicholas II obligingly made it all the way to 1061, so a little bit longer. That brings us back to an important year for the Normans. We'll see why, though, in the next episode. For now, thanks very much to everyone for listening. As always, let me thank my regular Patreon donors. Thanks to the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Preston, Roberta, Sean and Jeff. Thanks to the Matilde di Canossa and mazzini level Benjamin. Thanks to the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei-level Chris, Stephen, Vincent, Jay, Shelby, Caitlin and Ben. Thanks to the top-level Dante and Maria Montessori, Sen. And welcome aboard to the new patron of the week, Dean. Thanks very much, Dean. Welcome to our little family. I know I've been saying for a while that I'm going to actually start doing something with these levels and I'm starting to feel a bit like George R.R. R. Martin promising that the next book will be coming along and not delivering. I'm not going to do like he did and threaten to kill off a main character if people keep insisting because, well, all of my main characters have died anyway, so. I will try and get something sorted out with these levels, possibly in the new year. Anyway, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so hello at ahistoryofitaly.com at the same URL you can click through to our social media Facebook and Twitter if you want to make a comment, get in touch, say hello make a criticism, please don't be too mean, I'm a bit sensitive and so on if you do want to get on board with Patreon you can go over to patreon.com slash ahistoryofitaly and this week we spoke about from Hamlet to pizza considerations about doubts thanks very much to everyone for listening and until next time arrivederci